Well, I want to welcome you to the program. This is a Monday edition of Sound Insight. And as you know, we typically have on the pastor of St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. And we do have the pastor of St. Mary's on, but not Father Jeff Lewis. And no, not Father Kurt Nagel, the pastor of Sacred Heart in uh, Bellevue and St. Monica's in Mercer Island. But we have on Father Mark Stronick. Father Mark is the pastor of St. Mary's in Kodiak, Alaska. Yes, indeed, folks. I, I'm i not sure how many of you know, maybe if you're longtime listeners of Sacred Heart Radio, you know that Sacred Heart Radio does have a footprint in Kodiak, Alaska. And for that, you can thank Father Mark and St. Mary's Catholic Church. Welcome to the program, Father Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's exciting. This is, uh, I think this is the, I've had guests from all kinds of places around uh, the country, um, and even some from different countries around the world, but I've not yet touched Alaska. So, Father Mark, you are you're breaking uh, you're breaking into new uh, we're breaking into new territory by having you on. So, I'm I'm excited about well, this. Welcome to welcome to the last frontier. <laughs> is is that what Alaska's called the last frontier? Last frontier, it's like on the license plates. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I grew up uh, in Massachusetts, and in New Hampshire's was "Live Free or Die." It was that was their uh, their their license plate motto. Um, and I'm trying to think, what is Washington? I, this is embarrassing. I've lived in Washington for 20 years, and I don't even know if Washington has a uh, a motto on the license plate. If it does, I, I just I stand in absolute yeah. humility. I did. Do you know if we have one, Father? <laughs> Well, I'm from both Oregon and Washington, and I can't think of either one of their slogans, so I wouldn't feel too bad now that I mention it. Nice. So I, I just, I feel like I've entered the world of humility with you, Father. This is good. This is a, a great place to start. Now, Father, you mentioned that you um, have roots in both Washington and in Oregon. Now, folks, if you're not aware of Father Mark Stronick, Father Mark um, is in Alaska now, but for a time... Father, you were um, based out of Mount Angel uh, Abbey as a Benedictine. Is that is that true? That is true. I am a Benedictine priest monk. I'm up here. And this is uh, by request. This is my second um, time up here uh, because I just feel a call to... To, to be where there are very few priests. And uh, so uh, I'm currently discerning joining the Archdiocese of uh, Anchorage, Juneau. Um, and there's a canonical process associated with that. But when I came up here uh, the second time, the uh, current abbot, Abbot Jeremy, said if I was going to come up here, um, I should consider incarnating into the archdiocese. And so I thought about it and still heard and hear, uh, you know, the call. And uh, so I'm going into my third year on a three-year discernment. And uh, it's my desire and intention to join the archdiocese of Anchorage Juno. Uh, at the end of this year. 
Wow, that's really something, Father. I, I had the privilege about, let's see, just over 20 years ago of helping, I think it was about seven or eight priests in the Archdiocese of Seattle who were in various stages of the incarnation process to be able to right. finish the process up canonically. And it it's really, it's quite a thing. It's It's not a simple thing. You might hear, oh, it's like, you know, uh, signing with a different baseball team, right? There's sort of free agency and you negotiate between the bishops and there's a trade. And so, okay, I'll give you one Benedictine, but you got to give me two diocesan priests or three Franciscans, right? Not the way it happens. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, vows should be taken seriously. Canon law has a a way for priests to change their affiliation, uh, but it I don't think should be done lightly. Uh, it, one should really feel a, you know, a, a consistent call toward something. Uh, in a, in my case, you know, I, I really feel like we're we're just uh, currently, and this is not a complaint or anything, but currently Mount Angel is not doing a lot of uh, parish work. We've done that throughout our history, but we're focusing on other things now uh, and yet I, I tend to you know I, I have a call to I believe to to uh, be a pastor be with the people um, and uh, it's I've felt it for years and it gives me peace to to come to God this way so um, anyway, uh, after dialoguing with superiors, and then of course you always have to dialogue with the uh, archbishop. You know, so in our case, Archbishop Belisario, um, he was the uh, bishop of Juno. There used to be three three uh, dioceses up here, and then Pope Francis combined uh, Juno and the Archdiocese of Anchorage. And so now there's two. There's uh, the, the Diocese of Fairbanks. That's the northernmost one. And then uh, the Archdiocese of Anchorage, Juno. So, yes, I, I interviewed with Archbishop Belisario. And I had been up here once before, so I knew, you know, a lot of the priests. And and uh, so he talked to them and invited me up. And so that's that's my status this particular point, but I'm happy to be up here in Alaska again. And Kodiak is almost a, a world unto itself, you know, cause it is an Island, a big Island, but, but an Island. So it's not, you know, I, I tell people that Alaska is much bigger than my home state of Oregon, but Kodiak Island is not much bigger than my home state of Oregon. <laughs> you know, it's 130 miles long and, and uh, so it's a little more, uh, I don't know, cramped than what I'm used to. But uh, but still, it's just a, a beautiful place to be. So, Father, you said a, a couple of things. I smiled at them. The first is, well, Kodiak's an island you know. And I'm like, Father, presume that anyone listening knows pretty much nothing about Alaska. Okay. <laughs> Maybe okay. it's just me. <laughs> But the fact that Kodiak is an island off of the coast of uh, Alaska, uh, I'm, I'm, I could nod my head and make pretend that I knew that, but I did not know that. 
And okay. the funny well, thing let me is, tell they, you a little bit about if how do you find it on a map? Well, find, yes, please. You know, Alaska look the shape of it, right? That's the mainland, and so it's kind of uh, got a I don't know a peninsula look to it. It's two two and a half times the size of the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. But if you were to find like the mainland part of Alaska and find Anchorage all the way down at the bottom, okay, which would be our largest city, there is a large island pretty much south of that, and uh, it's the second biggest island in the United States of America. The Big Hawaiian Island, the biggest one, and wow. we are the the second biggest one. Really, and. Uh, yeah, and and although we're we've only got, I've seen conflicting reports of how many people we have on this island. But the the last I read, it was something like thirteen thousand five hundred people. And our most famous resident probably is the Kodiak grizzly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the largest meat eating animal on planet Earth. <laughs> Go like fifteen. 1500 pounds or something like that. Um, but, uh, but it's also, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of bald eagles. You never go a day without seeing a bald eagle. Um, and you can even almost see flocks of bald eagles. Um, it's, it's forested. It's called, uh, Alaska's, uh, Emerald Island. So it's a little like Ireland, uh, which means, of course, that it's it's got a lot of rain. Uh, we get somewhere in the 80s. It's, it's temperate rainforest. So even as a Western Oregonian, I, I'm not used to the amount of rain that, that's here. But <laughs> but it's uh, but it's uh, and my parish is uh, probably 70 percent Filipino. Brought here by the uh, fishing industry, Hispanic, some uh, natives, and uh, as an Anglo, I'm a member of a of a minority group here, uh, which is fine by me. But it's a, it's a pretty uh, ethnically diverse uh, ministry. It is that's so interesting, Father. Uh, just sharing what you're sharing. It, th- these are like fascinating things. And like, I have all these questions in my head as you're sharing, like, why would someone discern a call to go be on an Island where you're basically trapped with the second largest meat eating animal in, the, <laughs> in existence? Yeah. I feel a call to go there. Father, I don't feel a call to go there. That is really so interesting. You know, just because they're, you know, I, I think, uh, the last mauling, I think, was before I got here, several months before I got here. I've been here two years. You know, there's something like, I, I, I hear different numbers on this too, but I've heard something like there's 3,500 of these bears in an island, 130 miles across. Um, but uh, I, I saw some just recently. I was in a crowd and I was within 30, 40 feet of them. They were just getting their fish. They didn't. There's a sow, a female, and three cubs. And uh, you don't. They're not. Just because they're big doesn't mean they're the most dangerous bear. You know. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. People, Father, people, that's not that convincing. Are, I, I guess, <laughs> Father, well, when you said the I'm last not, I, mauling, I, Father, you, you, you talked about the last well, mauling. Okay, so I have a dog. I've never heard of a dog mauling. Okay, so I have a cat. The cats don't maul. Right? A 1,500-pound a grizzly bear? Yeah. That is something I don't want to be <laughs> Father, this is awesome. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, <laughs> no, you're right, of course. But, um, but you know, why do people swim? Why do people from Australia swim in the ocean? Because they've got tiger sharks. They got great white sharks. They've got like more man-eating sharks just about anywhere in the world, right? Yes. And they still go out and swim in the ocean, and. And I, and I, I wonder like why, but, but I think if you ask them, I guess you'll have to ask an Australian, but I, I think they say mathematically, it's not that common, you know? And I can tell you, I'm a big time walker. I get up, I pray my bravery, usually on my phone cause it's still dark, you know? So I'm walking around like a half hour in the morning. It's pitch, pitch black and we have long nights during the winter and uh i know they're i, I know they're out there you know but i'm not gonna i don't know i'm not gonna hide in my house um i mean i do believe in all this stuff <laughs> i believe in god i believe in and uh, but I, don't, I just don't find myself being preoccupied with it and i don't get the sense that people here are we know i mean there's if there's thirteen thousand five hundred of us and there's 3,500 of them, there's one for every three or four people, right? So they're, they're definitely out there, but uh, I just think they're kind of one of God's amazing creatures, really. Um, That's uh, Father Mark Stornak joining me today. Father Mark Stornak is the pastor of St. Mary's in Kodiak, Alaska. And folks, you might, when you say, oh yeah, Kodiak, Alaska, what do I know about that? So KBKO, Kodiak, you might hear that at the top of the hour. It's one of the call signs. KBKO is 88.3 FM. It's one of the stations of Sacred Heart Radio. Father Mark Stornak is the pastor of St. Mary's in Kodiak, Alaska. Ron Belter was up visiting St. Mary's to do some work on the, on the, I don't know if it was on the antenna, the transmitter, or on the the local station itself and connected with Father Mark. And it just got the conversation going. And it's like, you know, we haven't had Father Mark much on the radio. Why don't we take a program and, and welcome Father Mark to uh, to Sound Insight, to give him a chance to, to share a bit about life in Kodiak, his own vocation story. And also, folks, just as I'm, I'm talking with you right now, uh, the Sacred Heart Radio Fall share is coming up. So this program's on Monday in two days, Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday, and half of Saturday. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, half of Saturday will be the fall share for Sacred Heart Radio. As you know, Sacred Heart Radio is nonprofit, listener-supported. So you listen to and are blessed by, I hope, the programming of Sacred Heart Radio throughout the year. Twice a year for three and a half days, Sacred Heart Radio turns to you. And while still doing programming, and you'll hear lots of wonderful guests and 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 some of the same lineup of programs on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and half of Saturday, but it'll also be your chance to call in 
and make a pledge of financial support. We always ask you for prayers, but twice a year, ask you for financial support. So that's coming up on Wednesday in two days. And when you do give, you're supporting all of the stations of Sacred Heart Radio, including KBKO in Kodiak, Alaska. So, Father Mark, back to you. You mentioned that um, you uh, have your roots in a call to be a priest, religious, a Benedictine. And, and now you're discerning to be incarnated as a diocesan priest uh, in uh, the Archdiocese of Juno, Anchorage, Juno. Father Mark, people love to hear testimonies of vocation. So uh, we'd love to get to know a bit more about you, uh, your own background, and, and what it was that led you to discern a call and take the, the step to enter the seminary and enter formation as a Benedictine. So I'm the uh, son of a four-square Pentecostal minister, and uh, I have, you know, had no uh, sense of the Catholic Church growing up, um, except for the kind of sense that a lot of Protestants have, and I'm not trying to be us and them, you know, but there is the the, the idea of protest and Protestant, you know, and so I think there's a lot of distrust among a certain kind of Protestants regarding Catholics. But, uh, and, I, and I think I know that, you know, just by experience, you know. Um, although the Spirit does seem to be uh, moving uh, the different groups to, to more authentic uh, dialogue with each other. But um, but anyway, I, I, I grew up as a, in a four-square Pentecostal background. And, uh, but, uh, there was a great falling away in my life about 16. And I would say from 16 to 26, um, I didn't darken the door of a church of any kind other than, you know, say weddings and funerals or whatever, you know? Um, but, uh, I would have probably self-identified as agnostic although to be honest with you i wasn't really actively wondering more more indifferent than anything else does that make sense yeah absolutely i it's you you surprised me at every turn father you grew up the son of a four square pentecostal uh family that's really striking um, so you fell away, but I want to know what drew you then to faith in the Lord and faith well, in the Lord as a Catholic. I, 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 um, I, I tell people that ask that I had three conversions, one to just kind of belief in God and the immortality of the soul, one to Christianity in general, and then one to, um, Catholicism. And they, they, they kind of, they, the different conversions built on the previous conversion, you know, um, but it just became more and more solid. Uh, but, but, but my father died a week into his 51st year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And my mother died on her 48th birthday and they died the same month of the same year ten days apart from two different kinds of cancer. And uh, 
you're probably listening to that. You're like, really? You know, yes, <laughs> absolutely. That happened. Mm-hmm. And my mother was mm-hmm. actually diagnosed terminal at 42 for, of uh, colon cancer. Wow. And then she ended wow. up dying of a, it spread to her liver and she died of the liver cancer. And, uh, and then my father died of mesothelioma, the asbestos cancer. And he, uh, after he was, I say I'm the son of a Pentecostal minister, but he had left the ministry, um, for his own reasons. And, and he, uh, was, had been working as an industrial electrician for the state of Oregon. And, uh, when he was diagnosed with mesothelioma, the doctor asked him if he smoked and he said, uh, never a day in my life. And. And then, uh, then the, the doctor asked him if he worked around asbestos. And he said, I'm an industrial electrician. You know, it's an insulation, right? So he just worked around in a lot of crawl spaces and was exposed to asbestos. And, and anyway, the doctor told him he had, uh, you know, 70% of all people die within a year of diagnosis. 95% die within two years. Sure enough, my father died about nine months after diagnosis. But my little sister, Christine, and I were in his hospital room. My mother and my parents were divorced at this time, and my mother was in Florida. Um, but, uh, my father was with us in Oregon and, and, uh, in Eugene, Oregon. And, uh, my little sister who was the only one really religious in the family at this point, because as zealous as we were growing up, you know, it, it just, she was the only one that was really practicing her faith at that particular point. And, uh, so she had called the, uh, four square Pentecostal church where my father gone to church. And, uh, she said that he was dying and asked for some ministers to come. And these two guys relatively young, one was in his twenties. I think one was in his early thirties, but they, they came and, uh, they, uh, the, the older of the two, the one that was probably in his early thirties. And I don't remember the names of, of these two. I, I don't think I ever saw them again, you know? Um, but they, uh, the, uh, the, the older one prayed very specifically. He said, if it's Lord, if it's your will to heal Frank, heal him, but if not, please take him. I mean, to understand that prayer, you'd have to just understand the pain that my father was in at that particular moment. You know, it was torturous. And so the so the the pastor prayed really specifically, if it's your will to heal Frank, which is my father's name, heal him. If not, take him. And he laid hands on him, and my father got a look of peace in his eyes and died. What? And uh, what? he just got a look at peace in his eyes and died right there. And instantly... Now, I didn't see anything. There was no physical manifestation or anything. But I looked at this empty shell that was my father. 
And I just knew that wasn't the most substantial part of him. And instantly. And so that was my first conversion. Instantly, I was a theist. And I believed in the immortality of the human soul. Now, I couldn't like rigorously prove that to anybody then or now, (laughs) you know, but whatever. I haven't doubted it for two consecutive minutes from that moment. Right. And uh, but but it wasn't very dogmatic, you know, or, or maybe I just had two dogmas, you know, God exists and the immortality of the soul. But that's not that specific, you know. And I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, really have a religion, so to speak, you know, uh, but still something that had changed in me. And so I started looking into religions, you know, and I, I kind of knew from the beginning that I was going to side with Western religion, you know, because uh, anything pantheistic, um, I just don't believe God is part of creation. You know, I believe God's the divine artist behind creation, but I don't believe he's part of creation. I certainly don't think I'm God. <laughs> you know, I never, I never had that inclination to think that I'm part of God. Um, and so I kind of knew that it would be, you know, if God had revealed himself, that it would be, you know, Jewish, Christian, perhaps Islam, but, but, and I, initially I was more attracted to Judaism mainly because the Trinity was just so baffling to me, you know, the whole concept of the Trinity. And, uh, so I started reading, you know, the English translation of the, of, of, I think it was the new international version of the Bible which is a Protestant translation, just with the idea of, well, you got to start somewhere. Monotheism came from the Jews. I'm just going to start reading, you know. And um, so I'm reading, and Genesis was great. I love stories. I love to read in general. Exodus was great until the temple rubrics, you know, or the tabernacle rubrics. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. that was a little tedious. Then I got to Leviticus. Now we're only the third book in, right? <laughs> there's almost no, there's no, there's almost no story in it, right? I mean, one story about Aaron's two oldest sons offering a, a unlawful sacrifice had been struck down, but the whole rest of the book, 20 some chapters, whatever, that is kosher food laws. Uh, ritual rubrics on how to slay an animal, <laughs> you know, and I was, and it just, it was, it's since become a little more interesting to me, but that, but that first read, it was so boring. I could, I can't just, and I, I even said to myself, did God inspire the most boring book ever written? You know, <laughs> and and I'm not trying to be cynical, but I did. I asked myself that question. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I'm only on the third book. I'm going to read the whole Old Testament. And and then, uh, you know, I, I was reading C.S. Lewis, you know. I mean, I had always liked his fiction, you know, like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Space Trilogy or whatever. And I don't know, I, I started just... I started reading, I forget whether I read Mere Christianity or Screwtape Letters first, but I read them sort of back to back. And 
you know, see, I, I like C.S. Lewis, I still like C.S. Lewis' starting point, the claims of Christ, who does he claim to be, uh, how do you account for his historical impact, you know, yes. start with the gospel. And and so I just said, well, okay, I, I, I can't just make it through the Old Testament. And I'm a big-time reader, by the way, but, but Leviticus really frustrated me, you know. <laughs> I was like, because I'm like, I, I don't, I, I'm just, if this is it, you know what I mean? It's going to be a lot, it's going to be a hard read, you know? So I started, I decided I was going to start alternating Old Testament and New Testament books. I knew the New Testament was thinner, you know? So I was going to, okay, Leviticus, Gospel of Matthew, Numbers, Gospel of Mark, and so on, you know? And, and meanwhile, I'm reading different stuff by C.S. Lewis, and I just started becoming more and more attracted to the person of Christ. And I I think I experienced my own kind of Pentecost. This is the way I describe it, because I didn't see any, like, uh, signs and wonders, you know. But I had all these vices that I had for just ingrained sinful habits, you know. Um that I don't need to go into specifically, but they were a decade or more ingrained, you know? Yes. Um, and pretty bad stuff too. Pretty bad stuff. And, uh, I started to just experience this inner strength. Just like, you don't need this. You don't need this, you know, which is, it's it, to grow in virtue and leave behind vice is easy to talk about. It's like, but, it, but if it were really that easy to do, then, more people would do it, I think. <laughs> once, right. once they really figure out how how destructive bad habits are, but but uh, but we lack a willpower. You know, this is like Romans six. You know, I, I, I agree with the law of God according to the inner inner man, but I see another law warring in my members against the against my mind. I kind of butchered that, but you get the gist of it, <laughs> you know, but like St. Paul saw something else going on inside of him, um, that, uh, that it wasn't just a matter of assenting to certain truths in our mind, you know, there was some inclination towards sin, the Catholic church calls it concupiscence, you know, but, but it's just this inclination towards sin. And then if you've got bad habits that are just been indulged for a long time, it's just, it's just hard to change, except for it really wasn't that hard to change, you know, um, with the figure of Christ before me and, and, uh, and I was just saying, well, if this is what the world's offering, you know, I mean, the world's all talk, you know, and and so it led to a conversion to what I call Christianity in general, you know. And I started, you know, uh, going back to the Pentecostal, but there's, you know, and I'm not going to just go into details, but there were things about it that I didn't uh, agree with, and I tried Baptist, I tried. Episcopalian, because C.S. Lewis, you know, Episcopalians are Anglicans in the United States and Lutheran or whatever. And uh, through the writings of C.S. Lewis, I started getting more and more sacramental 
Um, and uh, then I, I, I found a copy of uh, St. Augustine's Confessions in a Bible bookstore. And he, he had this uh, passage in there where St. Monica, the mother of St. Augustine, um, she's dying in Ostia. And Augustine and his brothers are there. And uh, St. Monica is uh, dying. St. Monica is the mother of, of St. Augustine, for anybody that's listening. And uh, she's she's fading away. And, and uh, Augustine's brother says to, to Monica, um, well, it's too bad you couldn't have died in Africa. You know, because you would have been more happy there or whatever. And because she was traveling to, to Italy to visit St. Augustine. And uh, Monica turns to St. Augustine and she says, uh, did you hear what he just said? <laughs> she says, bury this body anywhere, but remember me at the altar. And I'm thinking, now here's a, an ancient book, right, by an ancient Christian and St. Augustine's being told by his mother, being asked by his mother, St. Augustine, the, the priest, you know, longtime pagan, but now a priest, is being asked to remember St. Monica at the altar. And I'm like, well, what's going on at the altar? <laughs> you know, because it's certainly not, that's certainly not Pentecostal theology, you know, that anything, there's nothing of the Eucharist in our way of looking at things in those days, you know. And so I kind of thought that sounds Catholic to me. It really does. So there were there's little hints like that. And I cold called a Catholic church one day, St. Mary's, speaking of St. Mary's, uh, in Corvallis, Oregon, where I happened to be living at the time. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an interesting conversion because I didn't really know any Catholics that I was, that I thought were good witnesses toward their faith, you know, uh, they were either secularized or just didn't know anything. Maybe it was just the group I hung with, you know, but, uh, I, so I ended up calling, got this very liberal, morally relativistic RCIA. <laughs> and it was just a, a, an awful experience. And I'm like, I re see, I'm a reader and I, I, I read, I've read the catechism, the, the fat one, like four times, you know? Wow. But, uh, but I, when I was converting, I was like, Hey, the Catholics, if you're interested in the Catholic church, they wrote this book. And most people use it like a reference book, right? I, I just started at the beginning, read it, read it. And so these liberal teachers of this, at this parish, I mean, uh, you know, in their RCIA, I was like, that's not what the Catholic church teaches. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> And so I just, I'm ashamed to say, but I just kept my head down, jumped through the hoops, came in despite them. You know, they were, they were absolutely no assistance to me whatsoever in joining the Catholic faith. And, uh, well, that's uh, just a little me, sad. Oh yeah. I, I want to, I want you to continue your story. Uh, I'm talking with Father Mark Stornick. Father, Father Mark is the pastor of St. Mary's in Kodiak, Alaska. And folks that you, uh, if you listen to Sacred Art Radio at the top of the hours, you hear KBKO Kodiak. It's a, it's a, an FM station, 88.3 on the island of Kodiak. I've learned it's an island, Kodiak Island. 
uh, right there on the coast of, um, right off the coast of uh, the state of Alaska, part of the state of Alaska, and the second largest island in this United States. Little did I know. And home of the second largest uh, land predator in the world. Um, the first uh, largest. Largest, excuse me. Sorry, sorry. The largest. <laughs> no well, problem. Yeah, so, even better. <laughs> So, I'm a Father, I don't know how many pilgrims are going to come uh, on a Sacred Heart Radio pilgrimage up to Kodiak to be with you, but um, Father was mentioning at the beginning of the program, he felt a call there. He felt a call within a call within a call, a call to the, pre- uh, to the Catholic faith, a call to the priesthood, a call to the religious life as a Benedictine, and a call to serve God's people in places that don't have a lot of priests, and Kodiak, Alaska is counted among them. Father Stornak, you were sharing um, the story of your conversion, and you talked about several stages and, and aspects of this conversion. And where we left off, you were um, just ducking and covering and entering the Catholic Church uh, as a result of various happenings in your life, um, interventions from God to bring you back to the awareness that He exists, and then drawing you to Himself. And so now you've entered the Catholic Church, and please pick up the story from there, because you entered the Catholic Church. You didn't enter the seminary, the priesthood, and the Benedictines at that point. You entered the Catholic Church. So I entered the Catholic Church, and then almost immediately I was looking into the priesthood. Oh, wow. And they don't do that, by the way. They yeah. <laughs> they um, want a little bit of stability, right? So yeah. was, right. And so I was told by different people, and Father Machaitis was one of them. Um, who was like the vocation director at the time. They're like, well, you can continue to call us and dialogue with us, but according to canon law, you, it's two years from uh, conversion before you can enter a seminary, you know, which is a, it's a pretty wise policy, actually. And then for a religious life, it's three years. Um, the idea is just to practice being a Catholic and, and so on, and I'm accustomed to it. And, um, and so I, I, you know, it was, was a calling um, on a semi-regular basis. And unofficially, I found a spiritual director at, at uh, Mount Angel. And, and, um, and uh, because that's also where the seminary is, you know, for the, for the Archdiocese of Portland, you know, it happens to be at the monastery. And so this priest was seeing me and he saw some signs of vocation, but he knew that I, I couldn't canonically do anything, you know, for a while. And, uh, but, but one conversation with him, I, I, I kind of thought, you know, I, I, I have an unusual draw toward prayer, but I also want to be a priest. And, and, you know, I said, are these, you know, inclinations of mine compatible, you know, because, uh, you know, priests are for the people, serving the people, you know, and like, in my mind, religious life was, you know, being in your cell and praying all day or whatever. <laughs> you know, so I was like, are, can these be reconciled? And, and this uh, priest, his name is Father Colker. I don't think he'd mind. He's a priest of uh, Yakima. Because Mount Angel had different priests working, you know, at the seminary. Um, he, he said, you know, I think you do have a vocation, but maybe you're being, 
narrow-minded, you know, because, and he gave me this book on religious orders. It was fairly thick, but just, just orders in the United States. And, uh, you know, he said, you know, may, maybe you do have too much of a, a prayerful inclination to be a, you know, a parish priest. I mean, that's a matter of discernment, but it, but maybe it's true. Um, but he said, look at these monks here, you know. Um, they, uh, you know, they get together all these times a day and chant the Psalms. And some of them become priests, some of them don't, you know, and they, some of them, you know, some of them teach classes in the seminary. And, and uh, so I, you know, started to, uh, you know, just look into a couple of different religious groups. But but uh, that steered me toward the uh, Benedictines. And I, I'm glad to this day that I, you know, made that decision. Certainly has profoundly affected my spirituality and and uh, it was it was what I needed, you know, uh, for a long, long time. And uh, after a while, though, and it really it was you know it's such a long process to become a priest. Um, at least eight years, if anybody's looking into it, coming like out of high school. Um, and my deacon year, I just had a, I was. Uh, at uh, Sacred Heart in Jervis, it's a town in in Oregon, a little kind of agricultural town, and uh, I, I just had such a positive experience my deacon year, and I was preaching, you know, every other week in English and Spanish, and and uh, interacting with people and being invited to their homes and everything, and there was a part of me that just thought, you know. I could do this. And it wasn't like a decision I'm going to do this because I, you know, I was monk under obedience or whatever, but, but I, I, it was the first time in my life I thought, you know, I, I could do this and thrive in it and make a difference in this particular way. And, um, and pretty much since that time, I was always volunteering for any kind of chaplaincy, old folks home or, we had a priest get ill at one of the parishes. I'll avoid that name just because I don't want to give personal information, you know. Um, but uh, so I'll avoid the parish and the and the and the priest name. But but the uh, you know I was working Monday through Friday at the seminary because the seminary is more geared toward the work week, you know. And then I was going to this parish. English and Spanish all weekend. I think I went like eight, nine months without a day off. But I, but I had the, uh, I mean, I just had such of a, such a zeal, you know, to, <laughs> to, to, to minister. And, uh, and so I, I think even since I've been ordained, I, even in the monastery, I think I've just wanted to do ministry, you know, that that's that's uh and sometimes when you're you know if you're in a religious group that has a seminary you know you're you're getting ordained they say okay what are you going to do after that my answer is always well i'm going to be a priest (laughs) you know that's certainly not a hoop to jump through to be something else you know my goal is to be a priest of jesus christ Anything else I did, it would be 
you know, whatever. <laughs> but but when I when I started, you know, that mystery happening at the altar that Saint Augustine was talking about, and seeing the Eucharist in the John chapter six, the bread of life discourse, and the road to Emmaus, Jesus was known in the breaking of bread. You know, what is you know? I just started seeing. Uh, the Eucharist everywhere, and I just wanted to be a priest and wanted to preach the gospel, share my faith, and and uh, it's, uh, I guess, the more and more inclination toward ministry is probably why I'm up here as opposed to at Mount Angel at this particular point. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it does, Father. Again, it's just that whole sense of people have their own journey, right? And it's uh, it's an amazing thing to to hear people's stories. Like, what was it that drew you on the different parts of your own path, right? What was it that led you to say, this is my call rather than this? And I just think it's fascinating, Father. Folks, you're listening to Father... Uh, Father Mark Stronach, he's the he is the pastor of St. Mary's in Kodiak, Alaska, sharing some of his story today. And we're highlighting this uh, on a on a Monday when we bring priests to you, local priests that are connected to Sacred Heart Radio. And Father is connected to the station in Kodiak, Alaska at St. Mary's Parish. And we're doing this on a week where on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and half of Saturday, we have the fall share coming up. And so, folks, I want you to please be tuning in because on this Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and half a Saturday, you're going to hear your same programming, but there are going to be some differences. We're going to have an opportunity for you to call in and make a pledge of financial support to Sacred Heart Radio. So I want to encourage you to do that. I'll be um, on live offering my program, um, and hopefully that'll be a blessing to you as well. So, um, Father, let's continue on with the story. So talking again with Father Mark Stronach today, uh, Father, you sense this, um, again, this call within a call within a call to the priesthood, to religious life, and then to life in Kodiak. Um, I'd love to hear how your sense of a call to solitude and the way that you live that out in your religious vocation is... Uh, very fitting. I feel like there's something very fitting and, and beautiful about that um, and powerful about that because you're, you're living the life of a diocesan priest, but it's very much a, let's call it a missionary life, a, a life on the frontier. And is there a way in yeah. which your own formation as a celibate um, has fit you and your religious vocation to contemplative prayer really fits this diocesan call on, on the frontiers? I, I, I'm glad you you. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I, I think that I, I wish more Benedictines were in parishes. I realize that certain parishes it might be kind of a challenge, but but I love Benedictine homilies of different priests monks I've heard just because you know our 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 public prayer is you know, the divine office, um, chanting the Psalms in the choir, but our private prayer, we don't wear rosaries, you know, like some habits have, although I love the rosary by the way, but, but we don't wear rosaries. Um, 
Benedictines were around hundreds of years before the rosary. Our our private prayer is it's just a, a prayer form called Lexio Divina. It's like sacred reading, and and it's just meditation upon biblical texts, and uh, it's a very um, literature based spirituality, you know, because. Um, you know, you could think centuries before the printing press, um, St. Benedict already expected all of his monks to be able to read at a time when, you know, maybe 5% of people could. I don't know. <laughs> but he expected all of his monks to be able to read. And he said if they if they don't learn to read, they should be given work even on Sunday <laughs> so that they, wow. <laughs> they won't be idle. <laughs> so, but... But people could read right over a text like that and not realize that he's assuming literacy, you know, um, at a time when that wasn't assumed <laughs> in 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 society in general, you know. But it took a monk like three years to make one copy of this <coughs> wow. by by hand, you know. Um, and so, you know, consequently, like most people didn't have a Bible in their house, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he's, he's expecting that. And so I think that our, our practice of meditating on this, uh, you know, the, the lectionary gives these small chunks of scripture that, uh, that are kind of bite-sized, so to speak. And every morning I get up and, and it, you know, I, there's plenty of opportunities to pray in quiet in rural Alaska, <laughs> you know? Just because uh, the parishes don't tend to be that large, um, the uh, the uh, you know there's just plenty of, of uh, quiet places. The rectory itself is quiet. The church is quiet as early as I get up because I still I still pray like a monk. I get up before people get up, you know, because once the day gets going, then you you may not. Uh, have an opportunity, you know, to prepare for uh, your homily, and uh, but but also just because I just I need it, you know, I need to encounter God, and uh, and I, I think a priest that's not praying is probably not going to be that effective, just because he is a we are mediators between God and men, <laughs> whatever else we are, you know, and. and how can a non-prayerful person lead somebody to God? I don't understand, you know? Yes. That's possible. Um, and I do think that priests, even in larger parishes, probably shouldn't micromanage. Mm-hmm. They probably should trust, they should trust lay people to do some of the administration. And, uh, you know, it says in Acts, you know, that when the Greek-speaking uh Jewish families were thought that their their widows were being ignored, and they, and they told the apostles about it. The apostles said, "You know, um, it's not right for us to leave the study of God's word and prayer to wait on tables, but pick seven men, <laughs> you know, and 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 so the diaconate was born, you know, um, just with this the idea that." The apostles, you know, needed to be, have some freedom to to pray and 
meditate and um, and not get sucked into just the just the administrative details, you know. Right. Um, I, I do think that that, that I, I do think that if we would trust competent lay people more, <laughs> then priests would be more prayerful. I'd like to. I, I believe that, you know. Um, and I've I've seen priests create a lot of stress for themselves by thinking they have to do everything. Yes. And I've seen priests remove a lot of stress from themselves by you know not avoiding all shirking all responsibility, but just saying. A lot of this stuff can be shared. A lot of this burden can be shared, but there are things that only the priest can do. And uh, you know, today, for instance, I, I, uh, I uh, you know got up early and did my meditation for on the daily readings. But then, uh, you know, I I went to an old folks' home and visited four different people and and. Uh, talk to you know one other one other uh, person that just wanted to talk to me and and he did some administration too you know you're not gonna like not do that but but uh, but you do need to be able to interact with the with the people on a spiritual level and the priest needs to be spiritual if he's gonna model that for right. yeah there won't people. be a lot of radiating christ unless you're plunging into christ in prayer and so uh, I just, I love that you bring the, um, that commitment to prayer, that tradition of prayer, that um, the rock solid realization that unless I'm rooted in Christ myself, I'm not going to be bringing Christ to others. Um, Father, I, um, I'd love to continue this conversation. We unfortunately, we are uh, out of time. And so, Father, I'll give you a, uh, would you just give us a, a closing blessing as we finish our, our time today? I sure will, and thank you, Tom, for um, for inviting me. And and, uh, and we are doing good here. Uh, your radio station is doing good here on on Kodiak, and I've heard from various people that uh, they appreciate the the presence of Sacred Heart Radio. And before the prayer, I say, um, Ron Belter. I was so impressed with his work ethic moving this radio station from a rental where we had it, which used to be an old rectory, so that's why it was there, to a, a, a storeroom in the in the in the in the school. And one day, I, I kid you not, Ron worked fourteen hours. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, it was like it was like twelve thirty a.m. when he was done. I was already asleep, you know, but but uh, it's amazing. Um, commitment to his his ministry that he has so so let's pray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen heavenly father we thank you for the gift of faith and help us to realize that faith gives us a vision of how the world really is god's eyes how we really are what we really need and the fact that we were made for communion with God and with each other for all eternity. Please give us the grace to persevere in the narrow path to heaven throughout our lives. We ask this in the name of Christ, your Son and our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. That's Father Mark Stronach, who's with me today. Oh, thank you. 
of the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Father. I really appreciate that. That's uh, what a beautiful gift of having Father Mark on today on the program. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.